Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Well, good morning for those that were not here at the very beginning. Today looks different. We intentionally set up tables a lot different. And the entire service is going to look different on purpose because I personally like change. I like when things are kind of thrown out and you don't know what to expect. Um, And so that's this morning. You have no idea what to expect and it's going to be fun. Um, And and over the last few weeks, we have been uh, talking about the, the meaning of life. We've been asking this question of, of what is the meaning of life? Where do we go from here? If, if the point is to become a Christian, then what? Where, what happens next? And the, we talked about how the meaning of life last week, the meaning of life is for God's love to be made known in all of creation. And that's accomplished through us being restored, transformed, and then reflecting God's love back to him and throughout all creation in the process. And those are the three things um, that'll be up on the screen. Those three things um, eventually will be up on the screen as Alexis throws it up on the screen. Those three things, restore, transform, and love, those are our core values as a church. That is who we are. Restore, transform, and love. That's who we want to be. We, we want to be a church, or, or rather, we want to be a people that have been restored, that have been transformed, and that experience this love. And we also want to do those things. We, as a church, want to do those things. We want to share restoration with people. We want to share transformation with people. We want to share the love of Christ with other people. And, and it's ultimately, this is our slogan of be and share, to be and share the gospel. That is who we are as a church. And last week we left off with asking the question of how do we actually do those things? We said that the meaning of life is is for God's love to be made known in all of creation, that, that God's love shines on us and we reflect that love back to him and throughout all of creation. But I asked how do we actually do those things. And it could be easy to state that, that you, you do nice things for people, that you, you show love and kindness and you do something nice to people, but sometimes that is not easy to do. There are tons of what-if scenarios of do you show love in this situation or, or do you not? What if this happens? What if this happens? And with that in mind, I want to read a story uh, from Matthew chapter 25, where, where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and the disciples had kind of asked him this question about, about the meaning of everything. They asked, when, when is the Son of Man going to return? When is all of this going to actually happen? What is the purpose? And Jesus walks through and tells all kinds of different stories, and this is the last one that he says, Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. I'm going to read it from here. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? 
And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And in this passage, while it was long and some of the language was really harsh, there's a few things that I want to point out. First, and I mentioned last week that the, the purpose of life is not to get to heaven. And I know that that may seem contrary to the common belief, but if, if you think about it, if our goal was to get to heaven, then that means that our life is, is supposed to be filled with us doing good things. If we're trying to, to make it into heaven, we are now doing things to earn our way into heaven. But that goes completely against what Jesus and Paul talk about, that that we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by the things that we do, but we are saved by our faith. And we see that exact example here in this story. Jesus talks about how he is sitting on a throne and he separates the sheep and the goats. And to the sheep, he says, take your inheritance. And notice that the word here is inheritance. It's not reward. It's not come and take your reward that you have earned. It's not come and collect your paycheck that you have worked for. It's an inheritance. It's what you receive because of who you are, because you are adopted into the family. Like when a family member passes away and just because you are related to them, you can receive an inheritance that you didn't work for, that you may not even earn or deserve, but you get it anyway. And then Jesus continues to say that he knows that they are adopted because of the way that they treated Jesus, the way that they treated himself. But those people are confused. And this is what I want you to get. The people that are inheriting the kingdom, they are confused. And they said, but Jesus, when did we do those things for you? Which to me tells me that they did not even realize that they were doing those things for Jesus. That, that they were doing good things and caring for other people, not because they knew that it was Jesus, not because they were trying to inherit the kingdom or earn their way into heaven. They were just doing those things, showing kindness and hospitality and compassion, because that's just who they were. It wasn't their point of life to do those things to earn something. Their point of life was just to to do those things, was just to be, was to express God's love to all of creation. I think you're seeing what I'm trying to say here. And this again shows us that the point of life is not to earn our way into heaven. Heaven is an inheritance, a reward, but not a reward that we work for, but that we are freely given when we believe and have faith. And, and this seems to be the goal. And they, they, they question Jesus and they, they say that we never did those things. And then the, the other crowd, the goats, that Jesus puts off to his left. And he says, you though, you do not receive the inheritance because you did not do those things. And they respond and they're like, what are you talking about? When did we not do those things for you? And Jesus responds, Very truly, I tell you, whenever you did not do anything for the least of these, you did not do for me, which in a way to me sounds like they're making an excuse. They're saying, but Jesus, if I had seen you there and I knew it was you, I would have done those things, but you were never in front of me. So I never had the opportunity to do it. I did good things throughout my life. So how can you say that I don't deserve this? I didn't earn my way into heaven. You've heard people talk like that of, of I'm a good person, but I don't have to believe in Jesus to get to heaven. I, I, I do more good than I do bad. And this is where Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. You don't earn your way into heaven. And the second thing I want to point out is the language that Jesus uses of the least of these. And and the question that I ask when I read this is, who are the least of these? Who are those that we are supposed to take care of that he's talking about? And based on the entire context of this entire message and the audience, it most likely means Jesus followers. It most likely means Christians, the church, because Jesus throughout the gospel and several points of Matthew, whenever he talks about the least of these or the little ones, he's always referring to the church, the the community of faith. And so it's most likely meaning the least of these, which means that Jesus is saying 
whatever you did not do for the least of these, however you did not treat the church. And so one could read this and say, well, well, Jesus is talking to the non-Christians and talking about how the non-Christians treated the Christians. However, I don't think it's a stretch to apply this to all people beyond just Jesus' followers. The beginning of this passage talks about how all nations are gathered together. And it does not say that Jesus separates it by the least of these and those that are not the least of these and then judge them, but rather everybody, all nations are gathered together, including the least of these. And then he separates them into sheeps and goats. And so we could assume that this also includes the church and that Jesus separates them, meaning it's, it's not just about how we treat other Christians, but it's how we treat everybody, which is what we see it throughout his entire message of what he's talking about. And, and, and I think this makes perfect sense if we think about family members. How, how protective are you of your family members? How protective are you of those that, that you love, that you care for? If you were in the bathroom, and somebody was talking ill of one of your family members, what would your response be? Would any of you start to get a little angry or maybe a bit defensive? Would you stay in the bathroom and hide? Would you come out? Would you confront them and say, hey, you can't talk to my, about my person that way? Most of you, I assume, would probably get a little angry. Even if you don't confront them, you would still feel a little protection inside. You would want to defend. You would feel a little angry that they would ever talk about your family member or your best friend or somebody that you care about. And for those that have kids or nieces and nephews, you know what I'm talking about because we get very protective of our little ones. Even if they're not your little ones, we get very protective of our little ones. And as a parent, one of the best ways that you can show love to me is by showing love to my girls. If you do right by my girls, you are doing right by me. But if you mistreat my girls, I am now gonna become a little protective. I may come, become a little angry. I may have a bias against you at this moment if you start to do those things, right? You know what I'm talking about. And in the same way, if you think about this, God, the Father, is the father to everyone, especially those that are adopted into his family. And if the greatest commandment, according to Jesus, if the greatest commandment is to love God, then I would argue that one of the best ways to love God the Father is by loving God's kids. The same way that you can show me the greatest amount of love by loving my girls is how you can love me the best. We can also love God by loving his kids the best, which is the second command that Jesus gives us. He says the first commandment is to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second is just as great as the first, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. It's to love other people, which I see them being connected because as we love our neighbor, we are in turn loving God. And it comes back to this idea of expressing love. And it's not the romantic type of love that the culture usually talks about, but, but the family type of love. We all in this room together right now are kind of a family. We would protect and stand up for one another in this family. And that's the type of bond, that, that love that we talk about of this community and those that are joining us online. And you know what that's like, how you would do this for a family member. You would drop everything to go help them out. You, you would sacrifice yourself, your time to help one of your family members in need. And Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, he commands us to love God and love neighbor. And we talked last week about how we love God because God first loved us, because he first shined his light on us. Remember the mirror and the flashlight? He shines his mirror on us. And as we are restored and transformed into a mirror, we then reflect that light. We reflect that love back to God, but that light passes through everything on its way. And so as we love one another, we only love because he first loved us. He is the one that supplied that 
that love, that light for us to be able to spread that everywhere else. And in this parable that, that Jesus tells, we see that the ultimate purpose of life is to love and care for one another, which in essence is loving and caring for Jesus, for God, as he says. And unfortunately, this is not common. It's not common amongst Christians to express love and kindness. It's not common around the world. I hate to say it, but it's not even common with every church that you experience. And it's unfortunate. We would think that this would be who we are about because that's what Jesus is. That's who he is. That's what he commanded us to do. But, but really what we find is that the common thing is to love and take care of those that are within our community, those that are within our family. And the church is kind of board up these walls and they say, if you are in, then you are taken care of and you are loved. But if you are outside, sorry, so bad. If you want to join us, you can come in, but then you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this and this and this, fit this criteria, and then you're welcomed in and then we will show you love. But that's not how God works. God doesn't give us a list of things for us to do before he expresses his love to us. The Bible says that because he loved us, he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for us. In Romans, that while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, while we were still broken, Jesus died for us. God sent his love to us. He loved us first before we cleaned ourselves up. What if churches actually acted like this? What if, just, just follow me here for a moment, what if the church started loving people first before they have to try and clean themselves up, before they have to be restored or transformed? What if we started loving them first? What if the people of God, those that claim to be Jesus followers, what if they actually devoted themselves to expressing this family bond type love and care and kindness and hospitality to the world around them? What if, if we take the command of loving our neighbor literally, what if the world desired so much to live next door to a Christian because they knew that that meant that they were going to be cared for because they have now become their neighbor? Can you imagine what the housing market would do if, if that was their desire of show me where the Christians are so I can live right next door to them? And we laugh about that and we say that's kind of cr crazy to think about, but imagine if that's how it was. Because that's what Jesus is calling us to do. That's what he is calling us to be, how we are to act. But yet we don't. What if people desired to work with Christians, to be employed by Christians because they knew that they would be valued and taken care of? What if, what if they wanted to, to hire Christians because they knew that if they hired a Christian, their, their company would be so much better because they wouldn't care about all the stuff that in the business world that doesn't really matter so much? Caveat, I am a business major, so I get that. But you see where I'm going. If we put people first, that's what most businesses try to do, or they, at least they say, let's put the person first. Let's put the client first, the customer first. We'll figure out the rest later. But imagine if, if all Christians acted this way. Could you imagine how the world would change if we really took this seriously? If we really left this place to show love and kindness to everybody that we came in contact with, Rather than having this wall or barrier to where they have to prove themselves worthy before they can experience it, what if we loved them first, not because we want them to give us or pay us anything back, but because that is how we love God and we love neighbor. And that is how we find purpose and meaning in life because the meaning of life is for God's love to be made known in all of creation, for us to reflect that love back and to do it in everything that we do, as Paul says, and all things that we do, do it for Christ. In this passage that we read, Jesus says to do these five things that they'll be up on the screen as well. Um, these five things that Jesus says is, is to feed the hungry and thirsty, to invite strangers into our community, 
to provide clothes to those without, to care for the sick. Those are the five things that Jesus, oh, and, and visit those in prison. Those are the five things that Jesus mentions here, which, which we could kind of just categorize as offering hospitality and kindness to those that need it. But, but the question is, what does that actually look like? How do you show love and compassion and kindness to people? And that's why we are set up the way that we are this morning and, and why everything looks a little different because I want to discuss that together. I'm not gonna tell you what it looks like, but I think we can all discuss it together. And so here's what we're gonna do. I am gonna have a list of, of what if scenarios and we're going to talk together. And those that are engaged online with us, you can also engage with us. Jeff is ba back there, Pastor Jeff. He has both comment section open to engage with you. I will have my phone up here with comments as well. And the questions and scenarios will be on the screen so you all online will not be able to see us. However, I will leave my microphone on and repeat what people say as best I can to repeat it so that you can play along. Keep in mind there is a 30 second delay so that there may be a little time delay. But that's what we're going to do. And that is why the tables are set up in this way so that we can all just have one big conversation to practically talk about and, and plan how can we actually show love and kindness and hospitality? You get it? I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's okay. It's basically just like what we do on Wednesdays through our, our Bible studies and small groups. We're just going to talk together. And so the first scenario that's going to be up on the screen is, is how can we show love to those that are on Jesus's list? I think it's on the screen. To the hungry, thirsty, poor sick and imprisoned and this is where you all just start talking to everybody out loud all right easton we're going to start with you easton i'm starting with you how can we show love to those that were on Jesus's list, which is up there, those that are hungry, thirsty, poor, sick, imprisoned. Give us an example. Okay, so to repeat that, which was a fantastic answer, is that we provide food for those that need it and prayer for those that need it. Food and prayer, go. That's fantastic. So um, for those that can't hear I, I know that it's kind of quiet in here and those online so the concept was um oh, let me turn my phone down is to have a prepared thing to hand out to homeless that need it uh summertime that could be water bottles granola bars anything that you would think would be essential and just have that in your car for when they are on the side of the street asking for money we can provide the essentials that they need which is to feed those that are hungry that's a good example Yes, meeting their need, yep. I like that. Mm -hmm. So meeting the need, so then let me ask this probing question. How do we know what their needs are? If we come across somebody that's, that's holding a sign on the side of the street, how do we know what their needs are? Okay, so I've heard talking to them, um, we ask them, ask them, have a conversation with them, let the Holy Spirit guide us. 
see what they don't have yet, be observant, pay attention. Oh, that's a good one. Treat people like people. What, elaborate, what does treat people like people mean? So in other words, um, it, this could be applied to any category. Rather than seeing somebody on the side of the street that appears to not have a home, instead of in your mind or talking about them as a homeless person, you would change the way that you think and you would identify them as a human being that happens to not have a home. Rather, does that, that make sense? Like. See them as God's children. Yes. Okay. Let's move to the, the second question. Yeah, go, go ahead. In other words, so spending time with them, listening to them, showing that we care about them. That, that's one of the hardest things is, is um, some of these questions that we'll get to. It, it's how can, how can we do these things? What do they need? And most of the time, it, they need something tangible. They need food, clothing, whatever, which all requires money, if you think about it. In order for us to buy them clothes, we have to have money to do that. But we don't always have money so what we do have is, is rather investing, rather than just investing money into them, for those of us that can and can be generous, we could invest our time with them, which is exactly what you're stating, spend time down at the soup kitchen serving them or doing different things. This summer we volunteered um, at the, the cooling center where the, the homeless that, that were living out on the streets, it was way too hot for them and they could die. So they came inside this place with air conditioning, free water and different things. And we just sat with them and talked to them, provided a space and that is exactly it. Uh, so question number two, uh, this is a little bit more specific. How can we show love to the schools in our city of surprise? How can we express love and kindness to students, families, faculty, That's a big one. Um, the, the answer was in this location where we meet in the school is before we leave, make sure that it is clean. I will take it one step further, make sure that it is better than when we came in. Yes, caring for their property. Hmm. We said that earlier too. Ask what they need, find out what they need, which requires us to be in relationship with them. Yes, because they probably know what they need, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's fantastic so let me restate that for those online the comment was an individual in our community went to a store and there was somebody outside they happened to have leftover uh like cash and change like dollar bills and change and they gave it to them and they gave the change back um, I would, I'm going to make a very big assumption. Change is heavy. And so if, if you don't have a place to store all this change, I would imagine that you wouldn't want to carry it. Um, why you would give back money, I, I don't know. But 
Um, I'm just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt um, and state that maybe they, they couldn't carry it. So it was a lot of change for them to be able to carry around. And so that goes back to knowing their needs and knowing what they can handle. Like I can't give them, I, I can't go into the grocery store and buy this frozen meal for them because they don't have a place to keep it frozen. They can't cook it up. So it's understanding what they can handle, not stating you did anything wrong. I'm just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. What are other ways that we can express love to our schools? The kids, the students, the faculty. Volunteering. That comes back to spending time with them, volunteering. What are ways that we can volunteer? Yep, class aid. Substitute teacher. Um, I will tell you right now that the Dysart School District is in dire need of substitute teachers, guest teachers is what they call them, and they have basically commissioned every parent to be able to do that. And so if you've got time and desire, talk to me and I'll tell you how to do it. I signed up myself. We'll see what happens. So not just volunteering in the classroom, but also volunteering through their events. Yes, providing care and support to especially the teachers. Um, we have done twice now a nacho bar here at this school where we just provided them a free lunch and a smile and a little card of encouragement. And we have heard that that makes a huge deal for them because they are burnt out, getting negative feedback after negative. So just a small amount of positivity goes a long way. Yes, an angel tree. So this um, Christmas, we adopted several families and bought gifts for them. Comes back to that money thing. Prayer, yes. Mm -hmm. So let's um, go to another question, Jeff, question four. What are ways that we can share love to those that we work with? Um, so I'm looking around the room, and everybody in this room um, has some type of a coworker or a neighbor. Um, and so those that you spend your time with throughout the week, um, and for those that are in school, Kurt, your students, your fellow students, um, fellow neighbors, peers. Yeah, there we go. How can you share love to your peers, whatever that looks like at work, school? Yes. Yes, so expressing gratitude, thanks. Um, again, that is bringing a little bit of optimism and hope to every situation. I like that. What else? Yes, providing support when they are struggling. So then the next question is, how do you know if they are struggling? You have to know your people. Absolutely. Absolutely. In other words, be the gospel today so that you have an opportunity to share the gospel tomorrow. That's good. What about the employees that make us angry? Our peers that make us angry, that do everything wrong? You know who I'm talking about. How do you share love to those? 
you pray for them first. So I heard pray for them, which does two things. Number one, it's praying for them, but then it's also praying for you in your interactions with them. But then second, you are listening and watching what the Holy Spirit is guiding you to do. Interesting. Yes. In other words, turn the other cheek. Um, yeah, that's what Kurt was about to say. It's the concept of um, if they harm you or they are disrespectful to you, you look past it into who they are. Yes. That's a big thing. So the, the statement was to not attempt to change the individual, which requires a few things. Number one, you have to value the individual. You have to realize that they have a different perspective than you based off of all kinds of different life experiences or whatever. So they may see the situation completely different than you. Acknowledge that work together on a team, and then continuing to pray for them and allowing God to change their hearts, which would then change their mind. That was a fantastic response. Um, yes, and that requires a few things. Number one, you have to be willing to put yourself in their shoes. But before you even do that, so the, the zero point, the real number one, is you have to give them a benefit of a doubt. You have to believe that, that there is a reason that they are the way that they are, a reason that they did something, that they're not just out there to get you, but there is, there is something more and worthwhile for you to invest in them, to see things from their side. You need to value them enough as God's child to look past it, to try and understand their side. That's a difficult one. So then that leads right into... Um, Jeff, question number seven. How can we show love to family members that have harmed us or that we have tension with? Family members. Um, I kill, kill them with kindness. Move. I didn't hear it. Yeah. Yes. And you all have those people. You know what I'm talking about. Every family has somebody that you have tension with, except for Cisco. He says, no, I've got nobody. Um, he's, got, he's got several. Um, I'm, uh, we'll scratch that from online. I don't know who said that. Yes, we all have somebody in our family that drives us crazy, that has harmed us in some way, that doesn't seem to want to be in relationship with us, that has harmed our kids, that has done something, and we are called to show love and compassion to them. So how do we do that? It's the question. Elaborate what loving boundaries means. Uh, I think it's important 
So here's what I'm going to state from that. And for those that are married or have ever had a significant other, um, you know that you can love somebody without liking them. I get told that all the time from my significant other, that she loves me, but she does not like me at the moment. And you, she is honest. You can still show love to somebody even when you don't like them. It's kind of what you were stating. You can love them from afar, meaning you can still express love and kindness to them, even if you don't like it or them. comes back to that idea of praying for them, seeing them, and understanding that if God loves them, we should love them. So then the question is, who does God not love? So if he loves everybody, who should we love? And again, not a romantic love. You don't have to like them. But who should we express love to? everyone. Okay, so then this leads into the final question that I'm going to ask. Uh, this is question number eight, Jeff. How do we share love to people that we consider to be living in sin and away from God? And I'm going to let you just read that again on the screen and imagine without, and I want to state here that I want to stay away from politics. Um, but how do we express love and kindness to somebody that we do not agree with, that we think they are living in sin? You fill in the blank of what type of sin you think they are living, what type of lifestyle you think they are living, whether they think it's good or bad or whatever. How do we live in community with them when we don't agree with them? How do we express love to them? Yeah. That's a fantastic answer. So you agree to disagree and show love to them regardless. Okay. Interesting. So it is not our job to condemn it is not our job to change um so interesting so then what is our job to include them at the table to give them food when they are hungry to care for them let me take it one step further if somebody walks through this door into this church building local church and they are actively doing something that we do not think they should be doing within our idea of our christian standards how do we express love and kindness to them how do we include them into our community at the table while knowing that they may be living in sin or at least from our perspective Treating them like everybody else. Mm -hmm. mm. 
<laughs> no, that's fantastic. So we need to get over ourselves and start to see things through their perspective. I thought it was good. You can keep going. That's good. So let me restate all of those. So fantastic. We need to, exactly what we said earlier, we need to approach them as a human first, as a person that God loves first, not as a fill-in-the-blank, whatever their issue is. That's not what defines them. They just happen to be the choices that they make. They are defined by God. Um, they are a human created in the image of God. Everybody is created in the image of God. They're all receiving God's love. We love them first without trying to change them however there are expectations that we must set and let me add the bible does also state that it is our job to use scripture to rebuke um goodness i lost the phrase but it's second uh, timothy three sixteen. all scripture is is breathed by god it's inspired by god useful for teaching rebuking um other things i thought somebody would look it up to correct me not important um, but there are expectations that we do have to set in place to protect ourselves but also at some point it is our job to state hey i think what you are doing is separating you from god and i want more for you and that has to come through relationship first so you love them first you build that relationship with them while having expectations we don't change who we are. Everybody should know what we stand for, what it means to be restored and transformed. Jesus calls us to repent, to turn from our life of sin and to fully trust in him. So they know what that looks like and they know, and we can rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal that to them. And then we can gently with love, as Paul writes, come alongside them and just say, hey, this is what it is. But Jesus warns us not to do that if we have a gigantic plank in our own eye, if we have our own issue let he who has no sin cast the first stone so we must make sure that ourselves are right you're gonna add something you're gonna add something no okay i think you are getting where we are going with this it is extremely difficult to do because there's all these what if scenarios and there are many more i stayed away from the very controversial ones on purpose um, but it, it gets into things because we can't change who we are we shouldn't. We are called to be set apart, called to be holy, called to be God's love. But we are called to love everybody. But at the same time, there are certain standards and expectations and, and boundaries that we need to keep in place. How we do that, that is a much longer conversation that we will continue to have as we grow together. Uh, so thank you for 
being willing to try this new model out. Um, and what I want to do now is, is close out with a uh, song, a time of worship for us. And so, so I'm going to pray. Um, and, and what I want us to do is just kind of focus on this of what is God calling us to do as a local church of how can we be and share the gospel? How can we as a church be restored, transformed, and loved? And then how can we express that restoration, transformation, and love? What is God calling us to do? So focus on that as we pray and close out here. Father, we thank you for first loving us, for expressing your love, your kindness, while we were still sinners, while we were messed up living a life of sin, you chose to love us. Would you give us courage to love others before we condemn, before we exclude? Would you remind us again what our role is to play in this world, which is to reflect your love? and that you are the final judge. Father, I thank you for this group of people that are devoted to following you. May you bless them, may you keep them, may you shine your face upon them. Father, you are great. May we sing your praise in everything that we do. all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.